0: Happy Monday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo Thirteen Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard directed feature Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com,
1: and I'm the other co-host here. My name is Chris Henry. I'm at the EAA Aviation Museum in Oshkosh, Wisconsin,
0: and we're already in, we're on the second week of the show already. This is really ah, wild, flabbergasting. Wow, and we're still watching uh, Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. With uh, Walter Cronkite talking all over him, that was... <laughs> your favorite. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I have to say this this isn't actually the real voiceover. I mean, if you watch the original audio, uh, younger Walter didn't talk so much over it, and they weren't quite sure what Neil said. The, the audio was pretty bad when when it was coming over uh, from the moon, and they weren't quite sure what his first words on the moon were. Supposedly, they were written by William Safire, but there's a there's kind of. Uh, Argument. Neil never confirmed who who wrote it for him. He came up with some words, but he talked with Nixon's chief speechwriter, and um, so it's he was supposed to be saying uh, that's one small step for a man. But because of the Vox problems, we're never really sure if he did say a man or just man. But it works, and it's on all the coinage and stamps. (laughs) So we, we, you know, we'll go with that. Um, (laughs) Exactly. This uh, that one little opening scene where they're kind of pushing in the camera, very uh, Francois Truffaut style, watching Jim Lovell watching it. That's, I think, that captured the emotion that everybody in the world was having. It's like you're looking at a man on the moon. It just even nowadays. I mean, it's been 50 years, and you know, this was happening before you were born, Chris. But it's still, it's still just such a knockout idea that there's somebody walking on another planet. That it's it's so mind boggling and. Oh yeah. Yeah, That's I mean and,
1: and think about that. I mean the think about what went into doing it. I mean yeah. uh I mean not let alone the people who gave their lives for the for the program but um just the the amount of technology, the amount of resources um and the amount of luck. I mean it, there was a certain amount of luck involved oh, yeah. in this. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: And just and all the different personalities involved. I mean these these guys 10 years before 1959 they were all called out of their out of their shops. And at the time, Jim Lovell was, was in Pax River up in uh, Maryland. And uh, people like him and Pete Conrad and Wally Schirra, they were all kind of given a message to report to the Dolly Madison Hotel in, uh, in Washington and prepare to be briefed. And it turned out that was, you know, that was where the start of Project Mercury was, where um, Robert Gilruth, who was the head of NASA, called them all in to say, we're going to do this, and we'd, we'd like to have some volunteers. Yeah, yeah,
1: and I, you know, I asked. Um, we had the inter. We had the chance to interview Mark Harmon, who was in From the Earth to the Moon, and and uh, and Mark uh, said something really pretty, pretty funny. He said he had the, you know, opportunity to. Uh, he portrayed Wally Schirra, and uh, he had the opportunity to spend some time with Wally. And he says, "I'm getting ready to leave, and I'm sitting in the driveway, and I." He said, "For whatever reason, it just hit me, and I asked him." Uh, You know, I said, Wally, you were you were on par to make admiral in the Navy and you left the Navy to go to pretty new organization, NASA. Why give it all up? You know, why give up your 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 slot, your career in the Navy to go do this? And Wally said, I can I'll answer it for you, but it's it's not fancy. And and Mark said, it's okay. I'd, I'd like to know. I'd like to know what your answer is. And he said, Sputnik pissed me off <laughs> he <laughs> said uh, I hated to see our country trail anybody in anything and uh, and that was it I, I swore that if I could help I would try to help and uh, I always thought that was amazing though I mean that was that was yeah. the drive was just you know nobody was gonna beat us to the moon <laughs> you yeah. know that's that's what a lot of those guys felt and they all wanted to be first
0: yeah well you were you were saying uh, earlier when you had a previous discussion with Frank Borman that his his mission on Apollo eight was strictly you know it was a, he was a cold warrior and that was his job he was gonna beat the Russians to the moon and that's why you know he was headed out that way that was that was his job as a military man that's you know that's what you do
1: oh yeah Frank makes no arguments that that Apollo eight was a cold war mission i mean that uh um he's very adamant about it as a matter of fact,
0: yeah. Um, but just an amazing, an amazing group of people who, you know, fortunately still have some of them with with us still today and uh, we'll hopefully be having them on the show shortly. Absolutely. Stay tuned. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so we watched the, uh, that zoom in and those words Armstrong on moon, I mean, that, that uh, the entire hopes and dreams of humanity are boiled down to three words, um, on the, uh, uh, on the screen. And then we cut to a, a very famous uh, motion with a thumb, which, I, Chris, you, you had a story about this thumb, I know.
1: I did, yeah. I. I uh, um, it was the 45th anniversary of the Apollo 13 mission. Uh, we hosted uh, Jim Lovell, Fred Hayes, uh, Gene Kranz, uh, Milt Windler, and Bill Reeves uh, here at Oshkosh. Uh, and I was driving. Uh, This is probably the coolest thing I'll ever get to say I did. Uh, uh, I drove uh, Fred Hayes and Jim Lovell back to their hotel. And, I I mean, it was a a massively attended event. A lot of people that came to see them talk. But we're heading back and, and we're talking. And in the middle of the sentence, Jim's talking about flying the Apollo 13 mission. And he just puts his thumb up in the air like he does in the movie and starts holding it over the moon. And I'm like, oh, my God, he really does that. <laughs> like, I thought this was, I th- totally thought that was something just kind of created for the, you know, for the movie. And there he is, you know, doing it, just kind of, you know, he's kind of chuckling that everybody made such a big deal about. He's like, I can't believe everybody came, that many people came to see us talk about Apollo 13. And, and he's just sitting there holding his thumb over the moon as I'm driving. I'm almost, I almost wrecked the golf cart. <laughs> and uh, it's like, oh, wow.
0: <laughs> uh, it's staggering. I mean, it, And it's it's so nice to know these you know, these folks are just like you see them in the movie. I mean it, it, it really is. They're they're just very to use the pun down to earth people, but they're it's just amazing what they've been through and what they what they've accomplished. Yeah. You know, I
1: have a saying that uh, the, that I use on Facebook quite a bit. And this has been my personal experience working with um I, I've been fortunate to work with, with some astronauts here in in World War Two vets and, and veterans of different eras who were regarded as heroes and um, I always tell people there was that old phrase that said, never meet your heroes cause you'll be let down. And, uh, I said, whoever created that phrase, uh, certainly didn't have, you know, the right heroes because, yeah. um, I've gotten to meet a lot of the heroes and, uh, I, I they're even cooler than I thought. Uh, I, I haven't had a bad experience with any of them and, um, and that's just it they're they just exude cool and they don't even try yeah um, it, it's this Arthur Fonzarelli like I I could I could picture you know Jim Lovell punching a jukebox and it turns on you know I mean yeah they're just they're just that cool and then they're so nice that it, it you know it, it makes them even that much more legendary in my opinion
0: no oh, for sure yeah although I'll, I'll tell you with the this when he moves his thumb away I get I kind of get let down because uh the uh the OCD astronomer in me gets gets annoyed. That's, that's the wrong that's the wrong moon phase. That I remember because I saw it. I saw the moon the night that uh, the, the night that people were walking on it, and that was a it was a waxing crescent moon. It was five and a half days old, and that's not that's not a waxing crescent moon. If, so let me you, ask
1: you, Jim, yeah. you know, you touched on something really good there. How did you feel sitting there looking up at the moon and knowing people were walking around on it?
0: I, it it was, I, I, it, it, words fail. The English language really fails me here, but I I could look at it and I was, you have this thing in your head where you're looking at the moon and you know, there's people on the moon and your eyes, I mean, it's silly, but your eyes kind of strain to look at, I mean, I I can look at this picture of the moon where, you know, that that comes up here and I can see the exact bend in uh, the sea of tranquility down there at the, like the seven o'clock position of, um, uh, of the Sea of Tranquility. And it's like they were right there. And at the time, when, when I was looking at it, I knew where – I mean, I was – I was a space freak when I was a kid. I'm nine nine years old. I had my my parents got me a Monolux, uh refractor telescope. I knew every I knew what the phases of the moon were every night. This was before <laughs> the internet. It's like you had the you had the you know the chart on the on the calendars. Like you get those uh, Saint Joseph aspirin things. Oh yeah, yeah. Have a, yeah. It has a lunar phases chart. I knew every phase and what they were called and how long it lasted and and I knew when the moon set was because it was listed there and I could look at the moon setting after this was on a Sunday night and I remember watching the moon starting to set. And, um, I was thinking they're right there. They're right at the edge of the sea of tranquility. And, um, your eyes, even though you can't do it, you, you kind of strain to see, am I seeing, you know, do I see a a glimmer? Do I see any kind of reflection? You know, it's it's impossible, but that's, you know, your little (laughs) nine year old brain is like, I gotta (laughs) be able to see them. They're right there. It's right on the moon. You know, and, and every, like, every house if you if you looked up and down your street every house had a tv in the wind you know you could see a light of a tv the blue flickering light of a tv because everybody was watching this the whole world did the same thing that night they all sat down and they watched whatever channel you were watching you were watching armstrong on moon and um and you know you uh i was a little kid i, I fell asleep watching it i saw them i saw them erect the flag i didn't get to uh, I didn't get to see. I felt I fell asleep before they uh, uh, they read the uh, the plaque. But I, I saw you know Nixon's phone call and things like that. And um, you know I thought this is the this is the future. We'd finally arrived at the future. This is the thing that every book that I had in my little bookshelf of space books it all talked about. Um, you know, when we land on the moon someday, this is what it's going to be like. And there's, there'll be three people going to the moon and, and all this stuff. And all that was promised in the little, you know, scholastic books that you'd take home from school and stuff. And here it was happening. Here it was right there in the middle of the summer. There were there were guys walking on the moon. And it's still you know, 50 years later. It's still flabbergasting to think about that that effort and that event and, you know, how very far away they were. Um, and you could still talk to them, you know. You know they they were they were expressing what they were feeling when they were looking on the moon, uh, when they were looking at the moon from, you know, from from the other side of their helmets, and um, you know things like Buzz Aldrin saying that it was a magnificent desolation. You know, the, having the human beings there, we'd we'd all seen every everybody back then had a had a subscription to National Geographic, and they'd have pictures of the uh, the surveyor lander mosaics where they'd have like 300 little pictures that they glue together and you'd say this is kind of what the surface of the moon looks like and you look and you go wow it's like just really just gray rubble but the idea of having human beings there describing what they were seeing saying that uh you know the limb foot pads were depressed in the surface uh only about an inch or two and you know knowing that that's what they had always wondered about would you know if the lunar module had landed would it disappear in a sea of uh, micrometeoroid dust and disappear and you know the fact that it didn't that they that they could stand on it they could walk around they could explore um all these things we found out that night just you know the the amount of knowledge that that entered our consciousness changed in that night so you know all these things were going on it was just this massive data dump and that's just the you know the factual part, but the emotional uh, change—the idea that we've been to the moon—we we could, if we accomplish that, who knows what else we could accomplish? And um, you know, it's kind of like the peak of the peak of worrying about the future. It's like, it's a future possible? Well, after that night, the future was obviously possible. So um, I don't know if, <laughs> if I'm making much sense about this, but that's that's the kind of emotional response this was as a, as a nine-year-old kid. Uh, in Elizabeth, New Jersey, staring at the window, <laughs> was, was thinking.
1: Well, I had the chance to talk with uh, with Buzz, and um, I asked you know I asked him flat out. I, I this I have a story too, and uh, for those listening, you'll probably get tired of Chris stories that go off on these trails. But um, I got to work. For those who don't uh, know or ex- know why I keep talking about this, is because last year I got to work uh, closely with the Apollo astronauts. Uh, we had a reunion here. Uh, we had. Uh, seven of the astronauts, plus Gene Kranz, I think. Um, so I, I, I'm really fortunate, and, and and I really cherish that I have one-on-one interviews that I did with all of them. And um, we did when we did Buzz Aldrin's. Um, Buzz said that for the first like 30 seconds they were on the moon, they thought they were going to blow up um, because there was a pressure gauge uh, somewhere in the lunar module, and basically it had spiked. And it was right at the red line. And if it kept going, it was going to rupture the, the uh, descent stage of the lunar module. And he said, uh, we would have died. And uh, he goes, so for the first, like, 30 seconds on the moon, we actually thought we might blow up. And he goes, and then for whatever reason, the vowel, it, it started to vent or whatever. And the temperature went down. And he says, we were okay. Now, I did this interview while um, over the phone and uh it was prior to air venture and with me if you've ever seen the tv show ice pilots i had mike mikey mcbryan with me uh he was speaking at our museum that night and i just said mikey can you uh, do you mind sitting in on an interview with us this morning and he says no who are we interviewing and i said buzz aldrin and he just kind of stops and he's like you mean like the guy on that went to the moon and you know we're like yeah he's like oh my god so we get through this whole interview and mikey just goes could i ask him a question in closing and Uh, You know, we're like, yeah, sure, you know And and Mikey just goes, what did the moon smell like? And at first I'm like, what what kind of question is that? You know, he was in a suit, you know Um, But Buzz, without missing a beat, had this amazing comeback Or he's like, you know, um, well, I was in a suit when I was on the moon However, when we got into the LEM One of the things we had to do was examine the dust and dirt we had brought in with us um, because they thought it was a fire hazard, possibly, and, you know, that the rocks might blow up and catch fire and things like that, and we had to test it, we had to smell it, we had to describe it, and and uh, he described it as sort of when you put out a campfire with uh, with water, you know, that sort of smell that uh, you, you get, um, but it was just amazing to me that with without skipping a beat, he was just able to describe what the moon smelled like, and I'm like, man, that's 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 a pretty cool guy. <laughs>
0: yeah, know, yeah. I mean, that. we really did send the right folks there. To, you know, they they had to be our interpreters for what was going on. I mean, they're basically representing billions of people on Earth and and their hopes and dreams. So you better be able to yeah. describe your your experience. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, uh, we're getting up to kind of the, the last parts of the, uh, the the title credit cards, and we're getting uh, based on the book Lost Moon by Jim Lovell and uh, Jeffrey Kluger. Uh, Jim Lovell, of course the commander of apollo 13 jeffrey kluger just came out with a book a uh, great book if you haven't read it uh, pick it up it's called apollo 8 and he goes over the apollo 8 mission uh, in great detail very uh, very intriguing uh talking about the the c prime nature of uh of the mission of how the lunar module wasn't ready uh to go to the moon but they they did this kind of a hail mary pass to uh to get somebody around the moon and hopefully beat the russians in time a uh, fascinating story well told just like a uh, lost moon uh, ex- exceptionally good book
1: I, i'm actually reading it right now and it's uh, it's really amazing
0: and uh, we see uh, marilyn marilyn comes out uh that uh that set that they're on is a uh, that's that's actually somebody's house that's it's not it's not in houston it's in uh, brentwood <laughs> brentwood california and uh it actually had been uh, heavily earthquake damaged and uh one of the reasons that they uh the owners had lent it out to universal as they they needed they needed the money to do the renovation cuz the foundation was cracked and they're going to have to pretty much bulldoze <laughs> the thing so uh this <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure they have a copy of uh of apollo 13 probably displayed in their uh, front hallway <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure yeah if you like our house thank this moon yes. yeah <laughs> it's a nice looking beautiful looking house doesn't look very uh very texasy i can't imagine there being that much greenery in july in houston <laughs> Houston, yeah <laughs> um but uh yeah nice very california feel to it the last thing we get there is the uh, uh screenplay the people that converted uh, uh jim lowell and uh jeffrey Kluger's, uh book into a into a, pl- a plot uh william Broyles and al reinhardt they also created uh for all mankind the movie for all mankind which is another great uh, look on this uh, they worked together on uh, china beach Castaway, uh, the remake of Planet of the Apes, The Polar Express, another Tom Hanks vehicle, and uh, Flags of Our Fathers. So they really are good with uh, historical uh, works. Uh, Al Reinhardt's here's here's how they here's how they wind up in the uh, the Ron Howard universe. Um, Al Reinhardt's wife uh, or ex-wife was Linda Pearl, who played Ashley Fister. Uh, Ashley was Fonzie's steady girlfriend on Happy Days, and they oh, think about getting no. engaged, but they broke up in season 11 of uh, happy days wow that's and, uh, so Fonzie's ex-girlfriend's ex-husband real life ex-husband Knew ron howard through this so here here they are writing apollo 13 so it's uh,
1: well and now my arthur Fonzarelli cool uh, phrase makes complete sense yeah see it's full circle <laughs>
0: good job well done chris
1: yeah absolutely i i knew that was
0: coming so <laughs> they're uh, wandering around talking about this I I I've had nights like that where you just think it's just too too much of a mess and it's best best to just sell the house, <laughs> start all over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marilyn mentions about uh, uh, Jenny Armstrong uh, being up all night and worrying about things. There's a lot of great um, uh, great stories about astronauts' wives. Uh, First Wives Club is probably the f- um, most popular, or the uh, the astronauts' wives club uh, is probably the most popular book about. Uh, about what it was like being an astronaut's wife, Jan Armstrong once said that uh, silence is Neil Armstrong's answer. The word "no" is an argument. He's a very solitary man. He didn't didn't speak much about stuff. They didn't really argue or things in their marriage. So um, uh, Neil was going, Neil was an engineer at Purdue, and they met at a uh, her sorority, Alpha Chi Omega. According to the couple, there was no real courtship, and uh, neither of them could remember how they got engaged. <laughs> They got married in January of 1956. Uh, Neil moved to Edwards Air Force Base. He lived in the bachelor quarters while Janet lived in the Westwood district of Los Angeles. After one semester, she moved into a house in Antelope Valley. Janet didn't finish her degree, uh, which she regretted, la- regretted later in life. But uh, she had—they had three children: Eric, Karen, and Mark. Karen, or their uh, their daughter Karen, uh, had a malignant tumor and um, had a. Uh, a lot of medical issues and, and passed away at two years old. So they had a, a lot of tragedy in their life. And this was in the middle of uh, Neil's uh, working on Gemini. They were married until uh, 1994. Neil and uh, Jan uh, divorced after 38 years of marriage. Um, he remarried and uh, he met his second wife at a golf tournament where they were seated together at a breakfast table. Jan until recently lived in uh, moved to Utah. She lived she lived in Utah where she. Passed away just last month, as we're recording this. Neil Neil is a bit of a cipher in life. He was very very much a private man. He was the right man for the job. If you've ever read First Man, he really uh, was a very driven person, a very uh, engineering-minded person, much interested in aerospace. Not you know not just space flight, but uh, winged aircraft. I mean, he was a he was a pioneer in X X-15s, and uh, you know really pushing the envelope. Um, the kind of person that we needed you know, to be, to be where he was. I think he was a great choice. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and something to keep in mind when they, uh, I mean, think about the coolness under pressure when, you know, he basically had to manually land the lunar module, um, you know, switch out of the, the computer program. Um, yeah. that's, you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's cool. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, is, and, and
0: you his, know. you know, his first, his first two days in space and, uh, in gemini eight he you know he caught up with the an Agena, made the first docking in space only to have uh you know everything hit the fan with uh, stuck yeah. thrusters and being thrown you know nearly dying he and dave scott nearly uh nearly ended it right there and then uh having to pull out a an emergency uh re landing off off the coast <laughs> of china and waiting for hours for a for a you know battle group to to show up to pick him up out of the water um the idea that we almost lost the first man on the moon before he ever got there <laughs> yeah that's so, a, uh, that's
1: the kind of danger those guys looked at every day
0: yeah you know, yeah
1: i can't wait to see the first man movie uh when it comes out i'm i'm anxiously uh awaiting that
0: yeah it looks it looks really intriguing um i hope it's not overly dramatic be- although you know neil's life was dramatic enough i mean just so many there's so many times when he could have just bought the farm and didn't. Um, yeah, yeah and,
1: and the training and the, uh, yeah, uh, the, what is it? The, the
0: flying uh, bedstead thing. The, uh...
1: Yeah, yeah. I was watching, you know, I, I read it or I watched it in an interview somewhere, but one of the astronauts was like, you know, the day he punched out of that thing, he went back to the office later that day. Yeah. And they kind of were like, rumor had sort of gotten around. He didn't come in and say it you know, that, that he did. And they finally, like a couple of the astronauts kind of went in and they were like, hey, did you eject out of that that trainer today? And they said he was just kind of writing something down and he kind of looked up and paused for a second and just was like, um, yep. And then he just went right back to work and they're just like, you know, he didn't sit there and say like, well, I was nearly killed <laughs> you know, yeah. or anything. He just, uh, yeah, I did, <laughs> you know, and that was
0: it. Yeah, def- definitely not one to brag. And yeah, and the other thing was that he was I think it was important even though he was he was d- detached duty. He was a civilian and the first man on the moon wasn't in the military. He was a civilian. Yeah. Um and just a, a you know another guy that <laughs> he was first th- first down the ladder. I mean it's a, a stunning a stunning life and uh, a quiet life. I'm glad nothing really ever you know the he didn't do anything to change his image he was a, a quiet man very much very much like uh, charles lindbergh i mean i, I think uh, yeah. lindbergh didn't really pursue publicity he he worked as an advocate as neil armstrong did in later life he advocated a lot of work on especially for education and uh, for his uh uh you know his alma mater for purdue i know he he's very strong uh promoter of purdue university so
1: i have a great story uh, that I've got to tell, and it seems like a fitting part, but uh, um, when we had uh, some of the engineers uh, from Apollo up last summer, we had some of the the folks that worked on on the systems uh, join us. And one of the guys worked at Grumman and he told this great story. He said, uh, we're all in this meeting and and we have like some of the heads of the board of Grumman with us, you know, and really, really you know high level people were in this meeting. And the security guard calls, and the security guard um, calls the secretary, and the secretary basically puts the call through. And you know, and he said, "Why were you interrupting like this big meeting with this call from the security guard?" So somebody picks up finally, and they said, uh, "Sir, there's a gentleman at the gate who wants in, and he wants to see a lunar module." And the guy, you know, Grumman basically said, "Well, you know, tell you know tell the guy to go away." And he said, "Sir." um, he says his name is Charles Lindbergh and the guard says, and sir, it really is Charles Lindbergh. And, uh, so they actually sent somebody down and Charles Lindbergh was there at the Grumman plant. He just wanted to see what a lunar module looked like and he didn't call ahead or anything. He just shows up at the gate (laughs) and just asks if he could come in and see a lunar module. And, uh, and they did, they showed him around and, uh, you know, and they're like that, you know, the craziest thing ever. They actually gave that garden award, uh, later on for having the, the tenacity to call <laughs> the upper management and, and alert someone that Charles
0: Lindbergh was there. <laughs> yeah. Keep the, keep the Charles Lindbergh parking spot open. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, this is a, this is a great place uh, to stop on our Monday. Um, with, uh, Jim level looking up at the moon and pondering how the, how the world's changed. Like, uh, like everybody else who was alive at the time, uh, tried to figure out, I mean, it's, <sighs> You know, this was Sunday night, and it's hard to figure out that people were going back to work on Monday. <laughs> like, oh, well, landed on the moon now. Uh, let's get back to <laughs> get back to work. Um, but, uh, yeah, quite a place to stop. Uh, for for folks who haven't listened in, thank you, by, by the way, for uh, for listening to our show here. Uh, if you haven't caught up with our previous five episodes, uh, they're always available at our big site, uh, Apollo13minute.com. You can find us, of course, on iTunes and Google Play or wherever you pick up wherever your pod catcher catches podcasts. Um, you can uh, find us out there. And uh, we're on Twitter, Apollo 13 Minute. You can find us also on Facebook at the Apollo 13 Minute uh, Mission Control. Uh, but we will return here tomorrow with uh, more discussions of uh, an astronaut and his wife uh, drinking heavily in Houston. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way so, to put the series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you got to get a, get a good perspective anyway. It well, uh, looks like I uh, lost the signal in 30 seconds, and we will see you here tomorrow on the Apollo 13 Minute. Oh,